Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us. The words of that song we've just heard, your love that's shown to us in the Lord Jesus. Such great, deep, unconditional love, a love that we do not deserve. A love that when we look at ourselves, we look at our lives, our thoughts, our words, our actions. We wonder why you love us, but we thank you that you do. And we thank you that through your love, the Lord Jesus paid the ultimate price to rescue us and to save us from the coming wrath. And Father, as forgiven people, as those who know one another in a new relationship with you because of Christ, you call us to live lives of love. Love to you, love to one another, love to the world around us. And we pray that this morning as we see that love in this passage, we see it in Paul's life and in his prayer for the Thessalonians. Please help us and inspire us and encourage us to be a people who pray that we would love. And that all these things would be for your glory. Amen. Over the last year or so, Alison, my wife, and I have been trying to teach our son, Gethin, how to pray. He's now three, and once he was old enough to speak and to join in, he wanted to pray as well. And if you ever, ever heard a toddler praying, it can be quite cute. However, there was a period when we were listening to Gethin praying, and he seemed to, when praying for people only ask that God would keep them safe. So pray mommy safe, pray daddy safe, pray nanny and granddad safe. <laughs> Very cute. But it made Alison and I wonder, what are, what are we teaching him about how to pray for people? Now maybe it was just due to a limited vocabulary. And of course we do want God to keep our families safe. But what do we really want to communicate about how we pray for people? What really matters when we pray for people? As I mentioned last week when advertising First Tuesday, which will be happening this Tuesday, and please remember that in your diaries, quarter to eight at the church building, that time when as a church we can get together to pray once a month. Things like that are many other times in the week whether it's in your home group or women's Bible study or staff and elders meetings, wherever it is, there's often those times when we gather, when we pray together. We'll share prayer points and we will then pray. And obviously when we do that, prayer requests vary from praying that we ask God to help us with our kids to coping with business at work. Maybe we pray for healing from our colds or seeking guidance for the future. All things which are good, all things which are really important in our lives. But have you ever noticed that sometimes when you share prayer points, somebody will say, please, would you ask God to help me be more like Jesus? Will you pray that I would repent of my sin? Will you pray that my love for Jesus will grow? Have you heard those sorts of prayer requests? And whenever I hear those, I say, Hmm. I just asked that you would pray I'd get my sermon done on time. But yeah, I want to pray those things you just prayed too. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with me asking that I get my sermon done on time because life can be busy and things can get in the way. But I don't find a lot of prayers like that in the New Testament. Is there a better prayer request I could ask? Perhaps a more spiritual one, or a prayer request that's more helpful for me and my character, for my growth, for my witness. A prayer request that makes a difference to other people, that affects eternity. A, a prayer request that, at the end of the day, when we stand before Jesus, makes a difference. Perhaps a prayer request that is in line with God's kingdom, his will. We've been thinking about that when we looked at the Lord's Prayer. Our focus is on him, on who he is, his glory. He is hallowed. We want to give him praise. And, and we want God's will, his kingdom, to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we want our prayers to be in line with that, to be in that focus, in that context, and from that perspective. So how do we pray? The Lord's Prayer is a really helpful model. And I think Paul's prayer here in 1 Thessalonians is a great example of that. If you've been here over the last few weeks, then you'll know that Paul has somebody who went to Thessalonica, as we saw in the kid slot. He planted this new church, but he was there for a very short time, and he had to get away. He had to leave because of persecution. He was able to teach them many things, but there was so much that he still wanted to tell them. We saw last week his, his long, his intense desire to get back and to encourage them and to strengthen them in their faith. He was concerned that through their persecution they may have fallen away. And so therefore when he prays for these people who are experiencing what they're going through all over there, I guess there's a, there's a number of things that we might want to pray for them. But as we see here at the end of chapter 3, we see something of Paul's heart and his priorities in prayer. Notice from verse 12, he doesn't pray that the suffering would go away. He doesn't pray that they would be kept safe. He prays that the Thessalonians would be a church that grows in love for one another and for everyone. So that through that, they would be blameless and holy in God's sight. His prayer is that amidst their persecution, they, they would love. Their love would lead on to holiness. And we'll get into what all that means in a moment. But do you see that as an example of a prayer request that has an eternal perspective? A prayer request that is deep into who we are and to the people God wants us to be. And so as we look through just these first three verses, verses 10 to 13, what do we see? What do we see about how we can pray for people? So first of all, praying for people. Let's read verse 10 again. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. We know Paul is a passionate man, don't we? And here's another example of that. We pray night and day earnestly for you. And I'm sure when he says night and day, he doesn't literally mean he prayed all day, all night for these Thessalonians, but that he prays whenever he can. He prays a lot for these people regularly. They're always on his mind, and therefore 
he always prays for them. Whether it be night or day, when they come to him, he will pray for them. He has this passion. He prays earnestly, this praying with sincerity, with, it's serious, it's deep. He really wants God to hear him and to answer his prayer request. He knows what they're going through, and he loves them, and he wants God to help them. And Paul isn't simply asking God politely, would you, would you mind just intervening in this if you, if you have nothing else to do? No, he uses the word for prayer here is pleading. He pleads. He's imploring with God that God would grant his request, that these Thessalonians would be a people that love. So we see Paul's passion. Praying regularly and intently whenever he can. I don't know about you, when, whenever you read about Paul's praying, it's very challenging. Here we see that he prays night and day. He does that for Timothy as well. In chapter 5, which we'll see in a few weeks, he says, pray continually. Often his letters open up and he says things like this. We always remember you constantly in our prayers. And it makes you think, did Paul do anything else but pray? Well, of course, he was a man that had a busy diary. He was preaching and he was pastoring and he was suffering in prison and he was traveling. But he never gave up on times to pray. Because he loved God and he wanted the gospel to be proclaimed, that meant that people were important to Paul. And therefore it meant that prayer was important. Friends, you know, it's in our prayers that we show our seriousness about our faith. about our own walk with the Lord, how we are doing. Are we praying, asking God to grow us? It shows our love for other people, our longing, our desire for them to grow in faith. It's in our prayers that we show our dependence upon the Lord. It's in our prayers that we show our need for his help as we reach the community around us. And so how much of a priority is prayer in your life? As we think a few weeks on from our series in the Lord's Prayer, a couple of weeks on from thinking about prayer in our evening services, what has changed in our prayer life? By the amount of time we spend in prayer, what does it show about the seriousness of our faith, of one another's faith, and of reaching the world? Now, I'm not advocating that we spend hours and hours and hours in prayer and that we're bad Christians if we don't take every possible moment to pray. I'm just saying that if we are serious about our faith, then surely we should pray. Now, how might this look? I've not managed to successfully do this consistently. We're trying to take a leaf out of Paul's book Maybe one of the inspirations about being earnest and being persistent in prayer can be played out in something like home group. So each week you meet and we share and we pray. So for example, somebody asks, please pray for an opportunity for me to witness to my family who don't know Christ. I'm going to see them this weekend and it would be great to, to share my faith. 
or in work, there are these people I want to talk to about Jesus and pray that I would get the opportunity. So, I don't know about your home group, but in our home group, we write it down so we don't forget. It's there with us. And we pray there and then. That's great, but, but why not come back to it a couple of days later and, and remind yourself and pray for that person? Or at the weekend, when they're with their family, pray again. And, and then when you see them on a Sunday or maybe the next week at home group, you can say, hey, how did it go? Did you get an opportunity to speak about Jesus? Surely that's a simple way that we can be praying. It might not necessarily be night and day, but it's, it's regularly. We're thinking about one another and we're praying for one another. And of course, if we believe that our friends' family matter, then we would pray pleading that God would give them an opportunity. Pleading that God would open up a way that he would give them wisdom, he would give them the words to speak. And if their friend says, yes, God did answer your prayer, he did give me an opportunity, then we can give thanks. How about Paul? Paul prays earnestly night and day that he would get a chance to go to Thessalonica. We saw last week that this poor guy kept being stopped by Satan. His way was blocked. He couldn't get there. Did he ever get back to Thessalonica, you might ask? Well, if you read on in the book of Acts, chapters 18 and 19, we see, well, yeah, Paul did return to Macedonia. He returned to that area, that region. He even spent three months in Greece. Now, whether he went specifically to Thessalonica or not, I'd hope that he got to see some of them. Maybe they came to him. One man certainly did. There's a man called Secundus. He came and joined Paul's team and traveled around as he proclaimed the gospel. So God did answer his prayers. And so let's pray that we would be a church that prays that pray some more, and that we would make it a habit of praying. Now, I know that's not easy. That's very hard. Forming any kind of habit is difficult. But if we can help one another to do it, if we can have reminders which are one another when we see each other, that we will be people who pray. And so if we are a people who pray and pray continually, then what do we pray for? What do we pray for? Well, Paul says, be a people, or he's a person who prays for people to love. Secondly, praying that people will love. Let's read. Let's read all the verses again, verse, from verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone, just as ours does for you. For you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Paul begins with a very practical prayer. Please, God, help me to get back to Thessalonians. To the Thessalonians. 
He wants to get back because he wants to supply what seems to be lacking. You might ask, well, what's lacking in this Thessalonian church? We heard in that first week that these, this is a great church that's growing, that's, that's famous in the area, that's a model. We saw last week that it's a church that's standing firm in its faith. So are they really lacking faith? I think Paul just simply means that he wants to teach them more so they would continue to grow in their faith, to fill in the gaps, as it were. Remember, he was taken away very quickly, and I'm sure there was so much more he wanted to teach him them. But it's not those verses I want to think about this morning. I want us to focus on verses 12 and 13, this prayer he prays, this prayer that they would love. You could summarize Paul's prayer by saying that he longs that the Lord will make the Thessalonians love for everyone to increase and overflow so that their heart will be strengthened, being blameless in holiness in the presence of God. Remember, he doesn't pray for safety in the midst of persecution, although I'm sure he would have wanted that. He doesn't pray that persecution would go away, although sometimes he does pray for that. Now he prays that they would love. But what kind of love does he mean? Well, Paul says, hey, love like we have loved you. So what is Paul's love like? Well, he was a man who had gone to Thessalonica. He'd just been in Philippi where he was beaten and put in prison. He goes, he spends three weeks with these people he doesn't even know. As we saw in chapter 2, verse 8, he doesn't only share the gospel, but he shares his life. He's, he's there giving himself to these strangers. He treats them like, he's, like they're his children. And in this orphan-like separation, he still longs for them and cares for them and prays for them, desiring that they would grow in faith. His love is other people-focused. It's for the good of those around him. It, it starts with that concern, that, that compassion within him that then flows to actions of kindness and of, of giving, of hospitality, of encouragement, of prayer. He longs that God would be at work to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. But of course, not only for them together as Christians in their group, but that they would love everyone. And surely that must mean those who are persecuting them. Loving those in the city who caused that riot we saw in Acts 17. Those who are mocking them. Those who are trying to pull them away from their new faith. Is that what you imagine it means to love one another? To love everybody? That our relationships are about showing love. Caring, listening, giving, being patient with one another, forgiving one another, carefully correcting one another, building one another up in Christ. As you read the whole of the New Testament, love is, seems to be on every page. And of course it is, because Paul's not the only one who says love one another. Of course, Jesus was the one who said, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another. And by your love, 
the world would know that I have come from the Father. And Jesus said, don't just love one another, but love your enemies. And of course, he's the one who didn't just say that and not do it, but he ultimately loved his enemies, us, the cross. He loved us, and so John tells us in his letter that this is, this is what we know love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Paul prays for love because love is the most important thing. But he doesn't say you do the loving all by yourself in your own efforts. He says no. He prays that the Lord will be the one to increase your love to overflowing. That he would help you. That God, Father, Son, and Spirit will be with with us, encouraging us, equipping us, empowering us to love. And so how does that shape our prayers? If we're thinking about praying for people, praying that they would love How do we do that in our prayers? Well, for example, when someone shares a difficulty in their family, whether it's difficulty with our children, a struggling marriage, tension amongst the extended family, let's not just pray that things will get better, but pray that in the midst of the hardship, we would love, love one another, that there would be kindness, there would be patience, there would be forgiveness when sharing opportunities to help those who are in need let's pray that they will do the practical work but that through that they would love show compassion to offer hospitality or to go and visit to give sacrificially all these things are what it means to love and of course Paul says, pray for everybody. And so when we hear about opposition people are facing, let's pray that, let's not just pray that their friends would give them a a break at work perhaps, but let's pray that in their opposition, that person may love and show mercy, not take revenge, but bless. Let's pray that we will be a people who love. And why love? Why this big focus on love? As I mentioned already, love is all over the Bible. But why the Thessalonians? Surely this is a church that loves greatly already. We saw that in chapter 1. Their labor by love. Timothy's report last week showed that there are church that's growing in love. And in chapter 4, we'll see next week that Paul doesn't need to teach them about love because they're doing it. So, so, so why pray for love? Well, because it is the center of everything. Faith, hope, and love. Paul tells us in Corinthians, the only thing that lasts is love. It's because love makes a difference in eternity. So pray for people, praying that people will love, but praying that love will lead to holiness. When you live a life of love, there's no better life to live than that. Paul says, verse 12, pray that the Lord would make your love increase and overflow for one another 
just as ours does for you. And verse 13, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God. But a better translation would be, so that your hearts would be strengthened. It's not a separate prayer request. It's the, the consequences of their love. Their love for one another would lead to holiness. It will be the result. So as we as Christians love our hearts, that center of our spiritual life, will grow, will be strengthened, will be established, will be found to be blameless, will be holy, will be Christ-like. When we live lives of love, we live lives that are worthy of the calling God has given to us, worthy of the death of the Lord Jesus. Because when Jesus returns with his holy angels, his holy ones. On that last day, the only thing that matters is how we stand before him. For Jesus comes to judge. The Thessalonians are waiting for that day. As Christians, we wait for that day. We wait for it with joy, with hope. But Jesus is coming in judgment. If you read the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians, he makes that point really clear. He's coming with his holy ones, with his angels. When Jesus talks about his coming in the Gospels, he talks about coming in God's glory and power with his holy, holy angels. Jesus is coming in judgment. And um, some people think that this verse here is alluding to Zechariah 14, where God is speaking about the coming judgment. The Lord will come with all his holy ones with him. Are you afraid of God's judgment? Should you be afraid of God's judgment? Of course, as believers, those who have trusted in Jesus, in what he has done upon the cross to take away that wrath that's coming, we've been rescued from it. Therefore, we can stand before God free confidently, not because of ourselves, but because we are in Christ. But that doesn't matter that how you live your life is up to you. We stand in Christ because of his finished work, but we're called to live a life of obedience to him, lives that are worthy of what he's done for us. If someone rescues you from drowning in a dangerous river, they have saved your life. But if we then go and play by that river that almost killed us, what are we saying about the one who rescued us? We've been called to something higher. That higher purpose is a life of love. We live a life of love because love fulfills the law. Jesus said the law can be summed up with this, love God, love one another. Whoever loves, Paul says, fulfills the law. And there is no law against love. Love never did anyone any harm. But it serves and it helps and it heals and it saves. And so when we live a life of love, we are blameless. So when you pray, for your friend and home group to love their family. 
when they do that with peace and forgiveness and encouragement, to be blameless means that there's no anger. There's no bitterness. But there's a holiness in their heart. When you pray that your friends would love the needy with compassion and gentleness and provision, then they're blameless because there's no selfishness. There's no greed. And to be blameless in holiness when we face opposition, to be merciful and to bless those who persecute us means that we've not taken revenge, we've not been angry. We have shown love, and, and therefore those who persecute us cannot point the finger back at us on Judgment Day. We will only have them, themselves to blame. To pray that people will live a life of love will lead to blamelessness and holiness when we stand before the Lord. We stand before the Lord confidently because of the Lord Jesus, but wouldn't it be great to stand before the Lord with confidence, saying, Lord, I did my best to live for you. I failed many times, of course, but see, as Paul does, see the fruit of the work you gave me to do. Blameless in holiness. And so, when I pray that I would get my sermon done on time, I will still pray that prayer. But more importantly, I will pray that God uses my weak efforts to speak to you. I pray that it will make a difference in your life, not just now, but for eternity. That we as a church would grow and change, that we would love one another and love the world, that we'd be a church that makes a difference in eternity. And so whenever you meet, first Tuesday, home group, Friday morning, Thursday morning, pray as people together that we would be a people that love. And that our love would make a difference in the church and in the community around us. So that on that last day, when the Lord Jesus returns, we will be filled with joy and glory and hope in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. You are a God of love. You are love. Thank you that we know what love is because of the Lord Jesus. And Father, as we look at our lives, if we look at the world around us, often love is, is missing in so many ways, in so many areas. Lord, we long to be a people, a church, a community that loves that loves you, that loves one another, that loves those around us, that loves those who may hate us. Because as we do that, we reflect who you are. We live lives that are, that are worthy of the love that you have shown to us. And Father, we pray that on that last day when you come back, that day that will then influence what happens for the rest of eternity, First of all, we will be a people who have trusted in you, have trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to secure our eternity. But that also we will be a, we will be a people who would be confident because you've helped us to live a life 
of obedience, a life of love that by your grace has changed other people's lives so that they too can stand before your throne. Thank you for your promise that the Lord Jesus will return. We pray that it would be soon. But between now and then, help us. Help us to be a people who love, but help us to be a people who pray that we will love. For your glory. Amen.